Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Dear Sovereign Lord and our Father in heaven, we praise you this afternoon. Lord, would you please help us to understand um, your synopsis of the church, your church, even, even this church which is supposed to be the pillar and buttress, the pillar and ground of the truth. Help us not to be deceived, especially about the condition of our own hearts. Please teach us, Father, what it means to be a healthy household, being fertilized by grace and reflecting your nature and exhibiting good behavior for the glory of the Lord Jesus and the honor of you, our Father. Amen. So we're currently in the second week of a series going through the book of First Timothy called God's Healthy Household. And some of you may or may not be aware, even though it was mentioned in the announcements, um, 10,000 pounds worth of equipment was stolen um, last, last week. And part of that equipment that was stolen was our church laptop, and it had um, last week's sermon on it, plus six months of sermons before that. Thank the Lord that a lot of them were uploaded, so they're on the internet, so we can drag them back down. But last week's, we lost virtually everything. The only thing we had left from last week's was the recording that was on one of the cameras from the mic on the camera. So how many of you listened to the, to the podcast and heard it was really, really bad quality? Well, that's the reason why. And hopefully at some point we'll get a chance to re-record that in some way, shape, or form. Um, but those of you that were here, obviously you're, you're fully appreciative of what we talked about last week. I'll try and recap a few things, not everything. Um, but this is the second week. And um, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 of the verses we're looking at. But I'm going to read from verse 1, talking about God's healthy household. <clears throat> Verse 1, 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I'm reading from the ESV, verse 4. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. God's healthy household, and today's message, our second in the series, is called Havoc in the Home. Havoc in the Home. Now, last week, in our introduction, we talked about greetings at the door, right? Didn't get into the house last week, but this week, <laughs> we're about to get into the house. 
And how many of you know that someone can answer the front door, they can answer it politely and courteously, and things seem nice and, and peaceful, but sometimes they're hiding mayhem in the house. You ever had that experience? Where things are just going mad in the house, everything's broken loose, right? And someone knocks on the door, and you go to the door, put your hand on the handle, and you count to three, right? And big deep breath, and then you open the door with a big smiling face. Hi, how are you doing? And you make out like there ain't really nothing going on, but momentarily, or minutes ago, you were, you, were, you were blazing, there was like fire coming out your nostrils, your eyes were red, and that, that, that goes to show that we can, we can control ourselves, right? The Bible talks about self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit. And you think, well, when you're in a situation, you feel like, I can't control myself, but we can really, we just don't want to, right? We're just giving vent to the flesh, you know what I mean? But... I think we all understand those situations. And you come and you make out like everything is great. Today, if you like, we are at the, door, at the doorway of this house. And on the threshold as we step into the door, this is the situation. This is the real situation. Not the painted or the fabricated situation that's presented. Nah, there's mayhem in the house. And how many of you know... In those sad situations where, and it's a common problem today, where we have domestic abuse in a house, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's sexual, sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's drug abuse, sometimes it's physical abuse. All these things, they, they tragically affect the equilibrium of the home, don't they? And let's say that this... All that I just mentioned in that list is going on in the house next door. What would a responsible next door neighbor do in such circumstances? If you're aware of this, what would you do? Well, I suspect you'd call the police, right? I'm not sure if I'd be brave enough to go get involved, you get me? But at least I ought to call the police who will come in and do what they need to do to restore order. So you can see why, why Paul opens his letter in the way that he does. Because even in his greeting, we didn't mention this specifically last week, but in his greeting, he doesn't have anything good to say. As he would normally when he writes a letter to the church. Notice Paul's serious concern by the absence of any kind of thanksgiving. See, because the things that are taking place inside this house provides Paul with no reason to give thanks. Yet there is hope because, as it says in verse 2, God is the father of this house. Remember, this is a household. We've seen a lot of relational um, family-type language. God is father or head of the house. In verse 2, Paul calls Timothy what? His child or his son in the faith. You hear the family language. Later on in chapter 5, Paul talks, talks, talks about younger men relating to older men. How? Young men relating to older men as fathers. Right? That's how we relate to the older men. 
Mr. Carnegie, an older man. So I don't, I don't call him by his first name. It's Mr. Carnegie, he's an older man. That's how a younger man relates to an older man, as a father. Young men relate to other young men, how? As brothers, hear the family language? And he talks about those who relate to older women as mothers, and young men relating to younger women, or young women as how? Sisters with what? With all purity. Thank you, Pastor E. See, as dads with daughters, we like to mention that one as often as we can. And as spiritual fathers to spiritual daughters, we like to mention that as often as we can. Because we don't want no one fooling around with the girls around it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, God is Father. We, we see this family and relational structure, and there is order. That is leadership and authority because at the outset it says Jesus is who? God is Father and Jesus is Lord. And we see that chain of command that we mentioned last week, right? Jesus commissions Paul. Paul never volunteered for the job, right? And God speaks to Paul and Paul speaks to Timothy and Timothy speaks to the church. That was then. Today, God, who spoke through Paul, that is, we have his writings, right, speaks to Timothy's or modern-day Timothy's, modern-day leaders who speak to the 21st century church today. And you've got some people who say, well, boy, you know what? I only submit to God, you know. I don't submit to no man. Really? Hebrews 13, verse 17 is for you. It says, obey who? Your leaders and submit to them. Now, if God is the Father and Jesus is Lord, as a leader, me personally, if you like, I'm just like a big brother in the house telling you to sit down, shut up, and be quiet. Now, I'm not trying to look at anyone specifically as I say that, right? But that's the role, you know what I'm saying, that, that I, that Pastor E, Pastor P, that these are the roles that we play here in the household of God. And you submit to us, don't you? But only because we're delegated authority, just like a big brother in the house. He's delegated authority. And see, if you understand this whole chain of command, you realize that you're not submitting to man. You're actually submitting to God. You don't submit to the leaders per se, you submit through them to the word of God. That's how biblical authority works. So here in Ephesus, there is havoc in the house. And if you like, the father raises his hands and he raises his voice. And he says, quiet! Everybody be quiet! And in that moment, all mayhem ceases. In that moment, everybody stops moving, everybody stops speaking, some people stop breathing. And rightly so, because they do so knowing the voice of the Father. Then the Father begins to give directives as to what must now take place, bringing order. See, that is the tone as we begin to read verse 3. If you look 
at your Bibles. I'm going to ask you just to stay in 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to flush up the verses that relate to what we talk about. So verse 3, as I urged you, remember the tone, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, because you know what, Timothy, I can't come right now, but if I could, boy. He says, remain in Ephesus, Timothy. Stay where you are. And apparently you could suggest that maybe Timothy didn't want to stay. That's why Paul said, you need to stay. And it's not because, remember, he's timid Timothy. Timothy's been for a whole heap. He's been in ministry for 20 years now with Paul. But it's tough. And Paul says, Timothy, stand your ground. And he says, look, remain in Ephesus that you may, what? That you may charge, and it's a military term. This is not even, this is not even, this, this is sergeant major type language. It's not even like brother speaking to a little brother in the house. This is sergeant major type language. And he says that you, Timothy, may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Certain persons. Paul's got particular people in mind. Certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And if these Ephesian Christian leaders don't listen, it's not that they aren't submitting to Timothy. It's not that they aren't submitting to Paul. See? It's that they aren't submitting to God. And so the stage, hopefully for us now, is set. These first seven verses are the opening scene to the whole film. And if you don't get this, then you ain't going to get the plot of the film. You ain't going to get the plot of the book. See how Paul goes in with regards to this situation. The issues described here, <clears throat> they frame this whole letter. And it's about legitimate versus illegitimate leaders whose teaching will contribute to order or disorder in the church, in the household of God. And we will see in a moment that the issue, as rowdy as, as Paul may be seeming to get, and as rowdy maybe as us may seem to, to be getting, the issue fundamentally is love. If a leader really understands love, they will live the truth and they will speak the truth. Two very important distinctions. And we'll see this emphasized later on in this book. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. Jesus is saying that obedience comes out of love. Obedience springs forth from love. If you if, check it, if you really love and respect your parents... You will honor them, right? So there's, there's, there's some help there for, for dads on Father's Day. Children, if you really love and you really respect your parents, like Jesus says, you will, you, you will obey them. You will uh, obey the authority that has been delegated. Because that's really what parents are. They delegated authority in your life as a young person, if you're still living at home. If you're still living at home, you might be 25 or 35. If you're still living at home, you know what I'm saying? It shows that obviously you can't really hold things down on your own right about now. Regard, I don't know what the circumstances might be. I ain't trying to... Why do you have to take it like that? <laughs> they say if you throw a stone and, something, and one dog yelps, well... But, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? In the, if you're living under the roof of your parents, surely you're supposed to respect and honor them 
Even if you don't like what they say. Because you're eating their food, sleeping in bed, like that they're providing, cooking their electricity um, on their gas stove and using their electricity, right? That's probably another word of encouragement. I'm on the, dads, I'm on your side. See, and... If, you're, if you understand that God has delegated that authority, you submit to that authority. And again, it just goes back to this whole thing about the big brother. When he says behave, you don't behave just because he says so. Maybe the big brother, you don't really think much of him. But that's not the issue. The issue is who gave him the authority to tell you what you need to do in these given circumstances. You see that? And it's your love and respect for the, for the person or the persons, your parents, that gave them that delegated authority that helps you to say, cool, no problem. Regardless of who that person is, or as long as what they're saying is right. <laughs> Obviously, you're not encouraged to do something that's wrong if they're telling you to do something that's wrong. But it's understanding this delegated authority, and it's based on you having love for the one that delegates that authority. And... Just as importantly for the big brother that's given the delegated authority, he won't abuse that authority or take advantage of his position, but will be careful to be faithful if he loves the one that delegated the authority. I think that's really the heart of maybe what Pastor E was talking about a few weeks ago. He was talking about the servant who has to go and now do his master's will. I'm saying, really fundamentally, it comes down to love. Do you really love the one who's been, been giving you direction with regards to them having authority? Now, if a, if a leader really loves God, he will seek to fulfill the will of God according to the word of God. Now, how many of you, <laughs> beginning to get a picture of what it means to be a leader, how many of you would like to be a Timothy? How many of you would like to be Timothy in this certain circumstance with regards to what he's confronted with? I don't see nobody putting their hands up. <laughs> no takers. Well, as I suspected. And that's a good thing. Because you understand the gravity. And I'm saying you, you see just how hard this job is. And you're not working for an earthly boss who only sees what they see. You're working for a heavenly father who sees everything. That's on the outside and on the inside. That is, he sees what goes on. He sees what we say, what we do, but he also sees in our heart and that which motivates us to say and do. It's deep. See, who wants to be a Timothy? Who wants to be a leader who has that kind of responsibility? See, part of what this book will help, I'd say, us to do would help you to do especially if you're not involved in any kind of Christian leadership, this is going to help you to understand the church from another point of view. You're going to begin to understand how church functions from a leader's point of view, whereas you may only be used to seeing things from a consumer's point of view. I think I heard, was it? Yeah, I was listening to someone preach on this particular portion this week, and they were saying, it's true, we're like, we're like, we're like, we're like consumers, we're like, we're going to Burger King and we're like, you know what I'm saying? I want a, you know, I want a, whopper, I want a whopper, no cheese, hold a gherkin, extra ketchup. And we turn around and we're like, 30 seconds later, we're looking at our watch like, where's my burger? 
And that's that's a consumer-oriented perspective. The consumer is always what? Is always right. But I heard my man say, he says, you know, the consumer's not always, the the Christian is not always right. The Christian is always what? Evil. (laughs) Not just wrong, you know. And it's true, isn't it? That's us. We are we come, we, we come into this with the same kind of perspective that we had outside the doors when we come into church, quote-unquote. You know what I mean? And, and we expect things our way. You know what I'm saying? But um, what this book is going to help you to see is that this one, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And we get an opportunity to see that from a leader's point of view You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, we're hoping that our journey through the book of Timothy is really going to be helpful. It's going to contribute. It's going to contribute to helping us to be that healthy household. You're going to get insight from an alternative angle. And remember, Paul didn't ask for this job, you know. He didn't apply for this position like and sit and interview. God commissioned him. Remember Acts chapter 9. And Timothy, who's now seconded by Paul, right? He never signed up for this. Timothy was selected by external means, if you're familiar with the book. He was, he was identified by other elders. These leaders didn't vote themselves into positions of authority. They responded to a call. So let's take it easy with the leaders. <laughs> Take it easy with us. Car. Me, Pastor Patrick, and Pastor E. We didn't decide like one day on a Thursday, like, hey, let's go into ministry. I mean, it sounds like fun, right? I mean, we could always get another job if this one don't work out. It never, <laughs> it didn't happen like that. I mean, we were called to this. And we constantly battle and struggle, you know what I'm saying, with the calling. And it's true, we could probably, there's, there's a couple of things that I'd really love to do. If I were a pastor, I'd love to be involved in real estate. I'd love to buy houses, gut them, and fix them up. You know what I'm saying? Make them look nice and sell them on. Oh, that's what I'd love to do. If, if I wasn't a pastor. But I'd probably go and do that, I don't know, for a week or two. And I'd be there, I don't know, with a roller or maybe instructing people to... And I'd be thinking about the Bible. I'd be thinking about, Lord, I'd be thinking about evangelism. I'd be thinking about how many people haven't heard your word. How many people are in the city that have never heard the gospel? I'd be thinking about, I'd be thinking about, about church. Because it's a calling, isn't it? And no matter what we try to do, we're always going to come back to the same place. The fact that God has called us, and he's called us to be faithful. And it's something that we wrestle with. And I don't know if any of you have seen this. Maybe most of you haven't. This is us at our ordination at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference in York, 2003. You can see there's Pastor Chuck there. Pastor Brian Brodison. Um, There's John Corson in the back there. Dave Sylvester. And there's another brother there that's been ordained along with us. See, and... And this picture, that's 2003, we were already involved in ministry for 10 years at that point. Now, what am I trying to do? I'm not trying to say, oh, these are our credentials, like we've got 
I've got beer like. You see the man in the, in the war, right? They've got all these buttons, all these badges on there. I'm, no, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just... It's like... Pastor Chuck, Brian, John... These, particularly Pastor Brian, right? They are legitimate leaders who ordained what we'd like to, to, to term legitimate leaders. And... It was, it, was, it was Pastor Brian that identified, you know what I'm saying, this calling in us and encouraged us. We were in California on a big mountain called Big Bear doing a youth outreach. And it was there Pastor Brian said to us, you know what, you guys started a Bible study. I ain't got time to tell you the whole story. It's really long and interesting, but well, we, would, we would say. But he said to us, fellas, you've started a Bible study, which you didn't really fully want to do. And we did as a, as a, as a tr- trinity. You know what I mean? And, um, and he said, fellas, you know, you know that you're going to have to start a church. We're like, no, no. Oh, start a church, no. I'm just saying that legitimately we were ordained by legitimate elders. Thank God who are, are still being faithful even to this day. And you know what? If havoc was to break out in this house, Pastor Brian, I suspect... I'm saying, would be quick to write a letter, an open letter to the church, if, he need, if it needed to happen. Or someone like Pastor Anthony Holiday, or Rob Dingman, or Marshall Alner, I've got a list of them, Matt Cotman, Bill Welsh, Duncan Forbes. I mean, I suspect even someone like Christopher Ash, director at Cornhill, at the Proclamation Trust. Or someone like Mike Ovey from Oak Hill Theological College. I'm sure they'd all have something to contribute if things started to fall apart here. See, especially those that had ordained us, those who have senior leadership experience, someone to whom we as leaders have respect, who would be able to come in and restore order, we can't get, we can't get away with nothing. And this should be comforting for you. It's scary for us. And I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we didn't sign up for this. We were drafted. So take it easy with us. Knowing that. Does that give you a little bit of insight? See? There are those who would have authority to come in and challenge us. And not with their own surmisings and their own personal perspectives. But they're coming in with the word of God. Paul says this in his second letter to Timothy, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All what? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See? What is it that is adequate for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke, for correction and instruction? The scriptures, the scriptures, not personal opinion or business management skills. The scriptures, that is the authority. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, Paul again admonishing Timothy to do what? Preach what? The word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And if we stick to reading preaching and teaching God's word, hopefully we won't need correction from outside. 
Because we'll be doing it internally. That which will protect us from invasion from within and without. Listen to what Paul says to Titus, who is in Crete, dealing with a similar situation. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, speaking about an overseer or an elder or a pastor. Verse 9, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, hopefully there are three of us here, right? (laughs) Why? May God help us. I mean, we should be able to sort out our issues. And God uses each one of us in each one of our lives in tremendous ways. And I mean, very often a pastor will have the opportunity, if he's just a senior pastor, to, to just call the shots. And very often people, because he's the senior pastor, will never really kind of want to challenge him. But we don't get that with us. Because Pastor E will brace me up if I need it. Like standard. I told you the other day, like Mark was pulling me up, asking me if I read my Bible this week. And I'm saying, let alone Pastor P and Pastor E. And I dare not put a foot wrong. And that is God's grace at work in my life. Because I'm a shepherd, but I'm still a sheep. And it's healthy. So may God help us, at least as we work together as leaders, and as you get a little bit of insight... Hopefully this will help you to relate to us better. Notice, these guys aren't just Christians in the text. If they were, then that would be bad enough. But these are leaders, they're instructors. In verse 7, it says, if you look at it, they're, they're what? Teachers of the law. Now that sounds good, right? But look at verse 3. In verse 3, they teach what? False doctrine. Different or alternative doctrines. They're heterodox as opposed to orthodox. Their teaching was full of the Bible, but the way they handled the Bible was unfaithful. I mean, if you know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says what? It says, study or be diligent to show yourself approved to who? To God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth. And this is what they weren't doing. They use yet misuse the Bible. Later on in the book, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that we'll come on to, which Pastor E will be dealing with, verse 3 through to verse 5, it says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound or healthy, that word is, if they don't agree with the sound or healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce Look what they produce, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, he'll, Pastor E will break that down when we get there. If you like, Paul says these leaders are, look, I'm going to go over it, puffed up, that is proud or conceited. They lack understanding, and that's putting it mildly. 
The New King James Version says they know nothing. Unhealthy. Now we're talking about what's supposed to be the healthy household of God. They're unhealthy in terms of their interests and they crave controversy. They have an unhealthy desire for quarreling. You see, and, and, it produ- and all of that produces, like a tree produces fruit, all of that produces something. Or it results in, listen to this, envy, strife, which is dissension, even division. It, it produces reviling. You know what that is? That's malicious talk or slander. Sometimes, if we see that coming out in us, then you can trace that back to the root. Evil suspicions. Hmm. That person, I know what they're thinking. This is what they're thinking, and they're thinking this because of that reason, and, and, it's, and, and that reason was caused by that. And this time you haven't even asked the person. You haven't even honestly said, you know what, I've got a feeling that boy, this is what's going on. Is this really what's going on? The per- and nine times at 99.9 times out of 100, the person turned around and went, what? No, man. But, but you've done this the other day. Oh, I know, but this is what, oh, sin, oh, forgive me. Matthew 18, isn't it? See, evil suspicions, const- not just wrangling, constant wrangling and frictions. These are depraved or corrupt in mind, destitute or robbed. Imagine, robbed of the truth. Someone come and, and, and plundered you of the truth. Now, sorry, Pastor. I mean, I kind of jumped into that a bit and I don't know. Maybe I've got some notes here that can help you when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, you know how fickle we are. We all forget this. When Pastor E comes to this, he'd be like, you remember when Pastor Rob said this? He'd be like, hmm. <laughs> we need our godly minds stirred up, right? We need to be constantly reminded of these things. Now, how many of you know that this does not sound like a healthy list? It's not a healthy list of godly attributes, is it? And like I said before, these aren't just Christians. They're leaders. And why are they like this? It's all a result of, or that which comes as a result of different false doctrine, which is a byproduct of refusing sound or healthy doctrine or healthy teaching, 1 Timothy 6 verse 3. This is where this off-key doctrine leads. Can you see that? And can you see why Paul is so livid? Look back at our text, chapter 1, verse 3. Here in verse 3, we have the four different actors in our script. Mainly just four in this whole book. Paul, Timothy, the church, and the false leaders. And if you like, this is the visible cast, as it were. The invisible cast being the triune God, the devil, and his demons who are all going to be mentioned in this book. Also from verse 3, Paul evidently is unable to address these issues with the individuals personally, right? Because he's in Macedonia. Hence this urgent letter to Timothy, verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. And that for a reason, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, Timothy's not the pastor, but he will be doing the job of a pastor. Your 
probably aware that the title pastor, as I mentioned earlier, is equivalent to the word shepherd. This church or network of house churches in Ephesus, they do have pastors, but they're not doing a good job. In this sense, rather than protecting the sheep, see, sheep are always accessible to what? Loads of things, you know what I'm saying, like running off in the wrong direction and, you know what I'm saying, tripping over and breaking their legs. But what's the most dangerous um, issue for sheep? Wolves. See, these are pastors, these are shepherds that should be protecting the sheep from the wolves that come from outside. But these very pastors, these very shepherds, among the flock are wolves. It's like the mother of a natural child not taking care of her child. It's like the father in a home who, rather than protect his children, ends up sexually abusing those children or physically, violently abusing them. See, this would be perverted, right? They're your children. How could you treat them like that? You ought to protect them, not prey on them. These men are not shepherds. They're not pastors. They're not protectors. They're not fathers. These men are wolves. They're voracious, ravenous dogs like hungry hyenas. And there isn't just one or two but a pack of them. And they're mentioned in verse 5, and then two of them are named and shamed in verse 20, and then another one later on in 2 Timothy. Men who have rightly been excommunicated by Paul previously. These men are not shepherds. They're not pastors. They're not protectors. They're not fathers. Spiritually, they're child abusers. See, unlike the letter to the Galatians or the letter to the Corinthians, these false teachers, sadly, they don't come from outside the church, did they? These have arisen from within the ranks, from their own number. Now, how many of you know that this was actually the realization of Paul's worst nightmare? If you turn over, just keep your finger in First Timothy, turn over to Acts chapter 20. which is actually, what we're going to read now is 10 years before what we're seeing um, in 1 Timothy. Now, again, I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 17, Acts chapter 20. Now, from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and did what? He called the elders of the church from Ephesus to come to him, right? Now remember, this is 10 years earlier, right? Elders, leaders. That means that these lead, it means that there were leaders at least in the church of Ephesus 10 years prior to Paul writing to Timothy. So there's, it's, there's been years of ministry going on in Ephesus. And these men possibly knew Paul personally because of his visit um, to Ephesus three years prior to Acts 20. So Paul had been to Ephesus three years before Acts chapter 20, encouraging these elders, speaking to these elders previously, because it was possibly the church that Paul planted. And these men, they may have even been saved, some of them, at that time, and then appointed by Paul himself as elders. 
Verse 18, and when they, that is these elders, came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. That is Asia Minor. That's Turkey, right? See, they know Paul personally. And this is a very big thing for Paul, this whole issue of how I lived. See, Paul's very big on this behavior that reflects belief. Paul says to Timothy, his protege, 10 years later, Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. It can't have one without the, one without the other, like the water and the wet. He says, watch. Now, it's not just watch your behavior. It's what do you believe? It's not just talking about what you do. It's not just about doctrine. It's what you do and don't do. It's not just about what you believe, but it's about how you behave. Verse 19, serving the Lord, that was me, says Paul, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. It's funny that Paul doesn't talk about his illustrious teaching ministry and all the people that got healed. He doesn't do that, does he? You see what he talks about? <laughs> He talks about his humility and the tears that he cried and the trials that he went through. Ain't got time. Verse 20. How I did not shrink at that time from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You notice that. From large gatherings to small home group type meetings. Paul says, I gave you what you needed. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's message was simple. Repent and believe, right? Verse 22, and now behold, this is Paul speaking to these elders. I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul's always moving around, right? Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Probably the stuff that's been happening to him all along, right? Beating, shipwrecked, and stoning. He says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies. Oh, there he says it. He testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received, the delegated ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, and now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Sad day, seemingly. Verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Hmm. Paul's gangster. I, I pray that myself, Pastor Ian, Pastor P will be able to say that. And I'm saying that before we roll over, you know what I'm saying, and you push us into a coffin and, and come maybe even here and, you know what I'm saying, have a Thanksgiving service for us. We pray that we'll be able to say what Paul says here. You know what? I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Because remember, we have to give an account for you, right? That's why <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17 says that you must, make, you must encourage us to do it with joy. Because we're going to have to stand up before God and the Lord will say, okay, that, that church that you had in, 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 in South London, that, how did you organize the church? Yeah, what did you do in order to provide people with, with healthy doctrine? What did you do in order to, provide, to protect people from the sheep, that would, from the wolves that would come out and, and afflict and attack the sheep? What have you, what, what did you, 
That's going to be us. And I hope that we can say what Paul says here. And this is, look, even right now, most of what we do is geared to teaching you the word of God. Whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's midweek community group, and I'm saying it's like, what we try to do is expose you to that which is really going to benefit you, and that is the word of God. You know, for me, in the 22 years I've been a Christian, every single issue I know fundamentally has the answer in God's word. That's what I have to find myself in. I'm out here straying, wondering, and all this and that, and talking, complaining, and, and the Lord always brings me back to his word. It may not have the specific answer to a specific question, but in a general sense, it will, it, will, it, it will speak to me and it will direct me. God's word is like a lamp to my feet and it's like a light to my path. Sometimes I only see the next step. I wish it was like halogen lights that would just light up the whole motorway, but it doesn't, right? And that, that keeps us on our knees, isn't it? Keeps us saying, Lord, help me, show me, teach me, forgive me. Paul says, you know what, I did not shrink back from giving you that which you needed. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now this is obviously, obviously a reference to the Old Testament. There ain't no New Testament yet. The same scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the same scriptures that had made Timothy wise for salvation. Notice, it's the full counsel, not some, not half, not most of it's the whole counsel of God. Jesus said, Matthew 4, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible says that, that God has exalted his word above his name. How important is the word of God? See, this is one of the reasons why we go through the Bible, book by book, verse by tedious verse. Some people come along and they're like, hmm, what about this? Why do we have to go through every single verse? Why not just... <laughs> you ask a question like that. It's like someone asked, asked me when I went, to, I went back to my old workplace. You know, I used to work in the post office for 17 years. I was a postman, right? Went back to my... Went to the, and someone said to me, oh, boy, Robert. I was like, yeah, well, go on. They were like, Robert. Like, what? You still a Christian? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you obviously don't know what this thing is about. Am I still a Christian? You obviously don't know what this thing is about. I could tell you a really funny story at this point. But I... <laughs> Another time. See? This is one of the reasons why we go through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse. And I'm saying it's not tedious to go through every verse of the Bible. My gosh. It's, it's nourishing. And you know what it is? It enables us to get the stuff that we wouldn't normally eat, like the greens, like Brussels sprouts, you know what I'm saying, and broccoli and, and cabbage. How many of you know okra? How many of you know God? I love okra. How many of you, God provided these things for our nourishment. Now, check it. If you as an individual only want the nice stuff, you only want to eat sweets and crisps and fizzy drinks, what does that say about you? Who normally wants fizzy drinks and crisp and sweetie. Pink, <laughs> children, right? I remember one time, and I'll pass it in, Pastor P will bear me witness. There was a brother that we knew when we first got onto this expositional teaching. We were like, bruv, this is it, you know, going through the Bible verse by verse, you know. And he was like, really? 
He came over now. Here's me telling another one of them stories that I shouldn't normally, well, I shouldn't do. But I'm halfway through it now, isn't it? So he came to, he came to where we was at in Westminster, and, and he began to, re- he was like sitting under the ministry, and one day one of us was preaching. He came, he was like, whoa. He goes, you must ain't joking. You're going in on this Bible team. We're like, fam, this is what I'm saying. Hooked the brother up with some commentaries. I can't even remember which one of the commentaries it was, but I was st- it was about 800 pound worth of books he took. He's a pastor, crossed the, crossed, crossed the road somewhere over there, right? And he started to teach through First John. And he said it revolutionized his life. But here the thing. As he was teaching through it, the church began, people began to come up to him and say, Pastor, like, what happened? What's with going through every single verse of every single chapter of the Bible? Why don't we just go back to the way that we used to do it before? And he was like, boy... So when we caught up with him a few months later, we're like, boy, how's it going, bruv? He was like, boy, you know what? Oh, church weren't really feeling it. So we went back to teaching kind of like the way that we was doing topical. It's like, bruv. And I had to be honest with the brother, and I said to him, bruv, you, know you know what that communicates? It communicates that your, your congregation is immature. The children, they want sweets and crisps. Bruv, you... you and it's your job as a pastor, like a, like a parent, bruv, to give them greens and salad and make them drink water. You know what I mean? A lot of fizzy drink thing. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's vital. I mean, there are nutrients and minerals in these verses that we'll be, we'll be lacking, we'll be missing out on. I suspect I've made my point right. Now, this is where it now gets scary. We're still in in Acts 20, right? This is where it gets scary. These are the very same false teachers, possibly, that Paul is writing to when he writes to Timothy to confront. Verse 28. Listen to what he says to them. He says, be careful. He says, pay careful attention to who? Not just to what you teach, you know. To yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. They, you see, they've been drafted and they've got a job to do. It's not like something they signed up for that now they don't want to sign out of. They've got a, they've got a commitment. They've got, they've got a responsibility to discharge. He says, the, God, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for this church, for the church of God, for the household of God, for the family of God. Do you love these people like you love your own kids? Because that's how you should be loving them. Because God obtained them. How? With his own blood. I mean, you talk about like blood being thicker than water. It's how the term goes, I think. Talking about family. Hmm. He says that to them, and as leaders, as pastors, as shepherds, he's saying, be diligent to to care for the flock. Why? Verse 29, because I know, Paul must have had some other, some, some amazing word of knowledge. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It seems like there was some kind of external, you know what I'm saying, um, influence. But then, this is from outside, but look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted or perverted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
like Diotrephes in, in, in John, who loves to have the preeminence. Even John can't come and preach in the churches that John probably established. Why? Because Diotrephes, he likes that. Excuse me, this is, I'm the pastor here. Excuse me. They want to draw disciples after, them, after themselves. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the good shepherd. I thought Jesus was the senior pastor, the chief shepherd, right? We're supposed to be collecting the flock to him, not to me. But as we're going to see as we go through this book, these leaders have got ulter ulterior motives, like money and power. Drawing disciples after themselves. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering. You see, this is what they didn't do, right? Remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish you again, everyone with tears. I think, I think for those of us who are leaders, we need to pray that God will move us to the point where we will actually be in that place where we're crying tears. You know what I mean? I think we need to, you know, may God help us to be in a place where you know what I mean? We cry for you. Um, and as we understand the glory of God and the grace of God and the cross of Christ and the fact that these are things that contribute to, to, to making you who you are, it's not even, forgive me for saying it, but it's not even just because of you that we ought to cry tears and love. But it's because of what God did to purchase. Because we're useless, we're worthless. We're, apart from that which God has done in our lives. Amen. So, <clears throat> and in verse 32, you can see where I get my benediction from, right? Now look at the rest of Paul's description of the false teachers in verse 4 of our text as we try to conclude. That you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. You see, they devote themselves... This is not a good occupation. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13 says, as teachers, you're supposed to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's what they should have been devoting themselves to, but they've gone astray. And look at what they devote themselves to. <clears throat> they give attention or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship that comes from God that is by faith. Oh, time. Myths. Myth is a fable, right? You remember hear about Aesop's fables? It's like it's fiction. It's not, it's not real. Individuals who are devoting themselves to things that are not real, that are fiction as opposed to fact. Endless genealogies. I heard someone say that this is about you know, these leaders, they had a, a, a fixation for the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, right? And especially Genesis, where they'd focus on the genealogies of, of, of Adam, and they'd begin to take the genealogies and the individuals that are named and begin to create these fictitious characters. And they'd end up, like, like, like me, like over here somewhere, and they've moved completely away from the true line of scripture. Myths. See, and, and this stuff is endless. Oh, wish I had time. 
which lead to fruitless and endless speculation. See, they're teaching just rubbish. But they mix God's word with it, and it sounds very convincing. It's just like what the devil would do. Rather than the stewardship from God, that which edifies or builds up, it's talking about the stewardship from God is God's work, the NIV says. This speaks about the big story of God's rescue plan. That's what the Bible is basically about. It's about, it's about a rescue package or plan that God put in place to bring us back to himself. It's, that's the big story. They call it the meta-narrative. That's really what the Bible is about. It's about, it's about salvation and rescue for sinners that comes by faith, this salvation that comes to us by faith. It's all about the gospel. That is the true gospel, which is a product of God's love and results in love. That's why we can't afford to have this deviation. Verse 5, the aim or the goal or the purpose of our charge, says Paul, is what? I mentioned it earlier, it's love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is like a father who shouts, Don't put your hand in the fire! Or, Get out of the road! That's Paul. It sounds harsh and abrasive and angry and it sounds domineering, but it's coming from a motivation of love. Man don't want you to burn your hand. The man don't want you to get licked down by a, like a Mack truck. It's, the motivation is love. I remember when my brother was knocked over by a car when he was four. We used to live in Bedford in them times. Sometimes I, I kind of fake it. People are like, where are you from? I'm like, oh man, I'm London. <laughs> I grew up in London like from when I was eight, but I was born in Bedford, Bedfordshire. And uh, when we used to live there, my, my brother, he, was, he ran out in the, in the road and he got hit by a car. I mean, he was four. I'm four years, four years his senior. So ambulance comes, takes him away. I'm terrified. I think my little brother's dead. Eventually comes back home. And I tell you, my mum, she pit. I was like, I was glad my, my brother's home. Like, he's alive. My mum tore into him. Like, why did you run out in the road? And she's shouting and she's shaking. Now, you could have looked at that and thought, boy, this this woman she should be grateful but you know what it is that was she was motivated to to get in us in my little brother's face angrily so that he would never do that again the motivation was love he could have died it was out of concern that she was admonishing him this is the motivation or the impetus for this charge it's love that comes from Paul, who has a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And the aim, verse 5, the goal, the purpose of this harsh commandment, not only comes from love, but it will produce love in the heart of the mature. How many of you know? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8 says, Rebuke a fool and he will hate you. But if you rebuke a wise man, he will what? He might not love you initially. He initially may hate you initially. But if he's a, you see, if he's a fool, he'll continue to hate you. But if he's a wise man or a wise woman, they will go and say, boy, you know what? I never like that, you know. I don't like how Pastor Patrick braced me up, you know. 
who does he, who does he think he is? And when I get through all my, who does he think he is? And uh, I'm taller than him. You know what I'm saying? When, I, when I've gone through all of that, right? When I've gone through all of that, I eventually come back and I say, fam, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry, man. Forgive me. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm wise, but I'm saying that's how a wise man will respond. Do you know what I'm saying? See, and these false, fake teachers, they don't understand that Paul is trying, his motivation is love. And if they will get it, they'll respond. You know what I'm saying? And it's coming from a motivation of love, the rebuke. And then when they respond, they begin to, it's your love for me that's doing that. And you know, here's my love for you. I'm sorry. Help me. Forgive me. It's all about love. It's saying hard things that people don't want to hear, but need to hear. There are those who have itching, itching ears, right? We'll hear about them later. They want to hear something nice, because their ears are itching, nice to scratch their itch. Whew, that's exactly just what I want to hear. Yeah, I'm a, I ain't got time. I'm a king's kid. That's what they want to hear. They don't want the truth. They want fables. They want fiction. They want non-truth. They want to hear nice things. They want to be entertained. They say, you know what? Come on, man. Just leave people to make their own choices. And I'm saying, come on, man. The Bible just means what you want it to mean to you when you read it. Because you need to be comforted. Say, come on, man. It's like, don't shout or correct anybody. Don't rebuke people. That's not nice. It's not loving. It's not loving to shout or confront or challenge or correct, they say. And if you agree with that, then you're not a good parent if you've got kids. You don't tell your children what they want to hear. You tell them what they need to hear. You tell them what is right. And if they're wise, they will thank you for it later. They may not, they may not like it immediately, but they will thank you for it. Why? Because they understand that you did it because of love. You did it because you love them. See, there you go, more healthy admonition for children and parents on Father's Day. Now, there's more to verse 5 that meets the eye, and we can't unpack it all, so let's come back to that next week. Verse 6 emphasizes that these false teachers are particular people. Verse 6, they're certain persons, they're definite individuals. Paul knows who he's talking about. And as I said, he mentions them, some of them in verse 20. He says these certain persons have, you see, by swerving from knees, mentioned in verse 6, they've wandered away, like I did a moment ago, into vain discussion. Three things. Look at what they swerve away from. Look at the alternative to, um, the, the alternative road that they begin to travel. And in three, look at where that road leads. One, they stray, they swerve away from Everything mentioned in verse 5. A genuine biblical faith they swear from. And that faith produces a sincere conscience and the purity of heart. How many of you know when you have sincere faith in God based on his word, it begins to affect your conscience. And it begins to purify your heart progressively, right? That's what happens. But their consciences are defiled. They're seared. Their hearts are impure because their faith isn't based on genuine biblical faith. It's based on fiction. It's based on fables. And two, they've turned aside. They've gone astray. They've wandered. They're actually lost in their misunderstanding. And three, 
This wrong turn takes them off into vain, empty, idle, meaningless talk. Verse 7. Desiring to become teachers of the law. You don't need to be a teacher. Sit down. But desiring to become teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. See, and the problem is when, when, when leaders go astray, they tend to take people with them. They make confident assertions. See, they come across as strong, but they're wrong. And if the blind lead the blind, everyone ends up in the ditch. And the thing is, we're all susceptible, aren't we? See me up here, I'm strong and I'm loud. I'm susceptible to this. That's what Paul said in Acts 20. He could have been saying it to us. Pastor Chuck and Pastor Brandon could have said it to us then. And we could be in error now. This ought to make every single one of us nervous, not just as leaders. Because how many of you know we all contribute to the havoc in the home, don't we? We all contribute, contribute to havoc <laughs> in the household of God, in the church. Yesterday, I was so, my daughter wanted to, my wife passed on her, her iPhone 3GS to her. She got upgraded, right? So my daughter got the iPhone 3GS. And she bought a little case for it. Must be in the market, whatever. And I saw that she had this case. Two twos. She's asking me, oh, dad, can I have your eBay account? I'm like, why? Like, why? So that I can buy a case, a cover for my iPhone. I was like, but you got a cover already. What do you mean you're buying another one? You already got a cover. And she was like, I was like, ain't you got a cover? And she goes, yeah, I got this. Yeah, you got a cover. Why are you buying another cover? The cover that she had cost two pounds. Now the principle, I stand by the principle. Amen, amen, parents. I stand by the principle. But I never had to go in like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be a shepherd. I, I, I turn some kind of wolf, some kind of, um, what they call them, American werewolf. I turn some werewolf, you know, tear her up. Tutu's, Helen comes in, Helen's like, what's the problem? What's the big deal? Tutu's, my son comes in, like, Dad, what's going on? Dad. <laughs> and there's me firming it. What? We, I'm there firming it in a principle. But I'd proper gone way off Kelter, and Helen's like on the laptop, and, and I'm like, <laughs> watch, I start trying to calm down, you know. How much, how much is the case? How much is the case? <laughs> Helen's like, £1.50. <laughs> I felt so shamed. And even in that, stormed out the room and I went upstairs. <laughs> Check it, went upstairs to finish my study. <laughs> I sat there in front of the computer for about half an hour. I couldn't type nothing. <laughs> and the Lord's like, hmm. I just... And I got up to go downstairs, and she came up this, check it. Oh. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you need to go downstairs. Helen comes out, Robert, you really need to go down and apologize to your daughter. And I'm like, Rrr. And then two twos, I'm thinking, okay, I need to get up. Let me just, as I'm getting up, she comes up the stairs to me, comes over, puts her arms around me, and gives me a kiss. And, to, and, the, and, and it was like nearly midnight, like Father's Day. I felt like rubbish. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Now, I don't know how I got onto that story. What, what happened to my mic? Uh, maybe the mic never picked none of that up, but maybe it didn't need to. I don't know. We all contribute to havoc in the home, don't we? I know I'm, I'm 
See, I'm the example today. I'm the laughing stock. But we do, don't we? And we need to listen to leaders like Timothy, who have been listening to Paul, who has been listening to Jesus, who is Lord, and we all need to submit to the will of the Father, who is the head of the household. Let us be prepared to submit to authority. Let's be prepared to submit to legitimate human authority, knowing that we submit to God. Let's be warned about the real potential of a Judas in the midst. And that Judas could be me, could be you. Let us, who are leaders, be strengthened by grace to do a difficult, challenging, but blessed job of leading faithfully. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're the head of the household, and I'm nervous even as I just consider the implications of that. And it's good to fear. It's good to tremble because you are almighty God and you are a consuming fire. That is true. You're sovereign God. And you, with all authority, determine to do what you determine to do. Yet in the face of all that which seems terrifying, you are our father. And I ask that you would help us to really appreciate that and the fact that everything you say to us comes from a motivation of love. Everything that you allow to happen to us happens because you love us and we don't always understand it. Yet, thank you that you're so merciful and forgiving to us when we flop. Our bedroom is still there. We can still go in the kitchen and eat food. We can still go sit down on the sofa. We still get to enjoy the benefits of being in the home, benefits of being in the house because you're so forgiving. Would you forgive us? for taking you for granted? Would you forgive us for being offended when you get in our face and you tell us to sit down, shut up, and behave yourself? Because that's love. And you only discipline those that you love. So would you help us to appreciate that, I pray. For the name and the sake and the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.